When was the last time you felt awe at something? The last time you felt awe at something? Maybe it was something to do with creation, uh, the, the mighty uh, power of the sun. We've been feeling that, haven't we, recently? The heat that, that comes off it in the summer, it's, it's awe-inspiring. Maybe it's the beauty of the stars or the glorious colours of a sunset. Uh, the, the, just going to the sea and marvelling at the power that, that the sea shows. Maybe it's you feel awe at someone's talent, uh, some famous sports person that just seems to just pull, pull these performances out that, that are awe-inspiring. I was feeling awe when uh, Nadal won the French Open recently. I think it's his 22nd uh, win or 22nd um, uh, you know, trophy for the, for the big ones. And uh, he couldn't feel his foot as he was playing. Like, it was completely numb, apparently, because of some injections he was taking. And he still won the, t- won the tournament, so that was pretty awe-inspiring, I thought. But maybe it's things like art or theatre, films, music, things that stir you and fill you with awe. Maybe it's knowledge, learning new things and, and amazing facts about the, the universe that God has made, from the tiniest details to the, the, the largest ones. Uh, here's one for you. The, the biggest star that, that they found as they've been looking out into the universe is 1,700 times larger than the sun. 1,700 times larger. Just, just the star, which means 5 billion suns could fit inside of it. 5 billion of our suns could fit in this one star. And if that's, you know, that, that's bearing in mind that 1 million Earths would fit inside the sun. So do the maths, I can't do the maths. But that's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? They, these things, just these huge statistics, these amazing facts, maybe those that what, fill you with awe. There's lots of things, aren't there, that can do that. But what about God? What about God? Do we regularly feel awe at who he is, at what he has done? I wonder sometimes if we find ourselves maybe getting complacent, maybe just somehow getting too used to the amazing reality uh, of who God is. Well, we're, like uh, Keith's already introduced, we're working through our vision uh, as a church at the minute. Uh, if, you've, if you listen back, if you haven't already, to the podcast and, and see some of the um, uh, things we've been looking at. Uh, but we've reached the first of the four outworkings today, worshipping God. Worshipping God. We, we saw last week that the, kind of, the second heading there, which was talking about how we get to love God with everything and love others. And how do we do that? How do we love God with everything? We worship him. They're connected. So we're thinking about that today. But actually, if you remember, if you were here just a few months ago, we spent several weeks looking at worship in particular. What is worship? How do we do it? What does it mean to worship God together? If you, if you missed those, you can go to the website or go to our podcast uh, and listen back. Uh, it's worth doing. Uh, we, we thought about worship and we realized the definition I, I came up with was this. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done by humbly bowing in reverence, awe and submission and serving him with our whole lives. That's what worship is. God, God has done so much for us. We owe our worship to him. And so today, we're seeing we've kind of considered what worship is quite recently, we're going to focus today on who God is and what he has done. And really the aim of today's sermon, the aim of today's service, is to leave with a deeper sense of awe of God. A deeper understanding of just how amazing he is than maybe when we walk through the door. That's, that's my hope, that's my prayer for us today. And we're going to do that by looking at Isaiah chapter 40. 
We're going to look at the passage. We're going to look at, uh, breathe it in. We're going to feel the, the weight of what it has to say to us. Um, uh, yeah, like I say, my prayer is that it will help us grow in awe of God. Now, chapter 40 of Isaiah is a chapter of great hope for God's people. Uh, they were in exile at the time, in Babylon, far from the land, after rejecting God. Maybe feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling judged, wondering if there was any point carrying on. And we get to chapter 40. Look at verse 1 and just see the good news that is coming. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's, so you see, this new chapter, words of comfort, good news, that the, the judgment is passing, God is coming to, to rescue them, to restore them again. And there's, just this, there's no obstacle that gets in this way. The valleys will come up, the mountains will go down. Everything is just laid flat for God to arrive. This road, he's coming to be with them. And then we see, what we'll see as we unpack the rest of the chapter is, is a reminder of who God is. And we're going to look at that today and think about what it has to teach us about him. But actually, before we get to that, we must remember something about ourselves. And that's what we see in verse 6. Uh, through to eight we've got to get this right before we go any further which is the fact that we are like grass we are like grass look at verse six a voice says cry out and i said what should i cry all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field their grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the lord blows on them surely the people are grass the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our god endures forever uh, the house we're in now is the first house that I've ever had to look after grass before we've either been in flats or we've had plastic grass and I've got to be honest with you I'm not that impressed grass needs a lot of attention it needs work it goes yellow quickly if I forget to move the children's toys off you know it goes yellow underneath it's not strong it's not long lasting it, it, it fades away quickly it goes patchy and it, it, yeah it's, it's weak and that's what these verses are saying isn't it we are like that that's what we're like our faithfulness is like the flowers of the fields it might look good for a while but actually it doesn't last long the grass withers the flowers fall and die that's true isn't it our, my faithfulness is is like that with God's it's weak it, it, it's easy to forget his goodness to go after other things we need to recognise this. We need to accept this if we are to then replace that with an awe of who God is. We've got to start that humble position of going, yeah, I am weak. I am helpless. I need help. We could maybe have foolish confidence in ourselves, in our own abilities, ignoring sin in our lives. We've got to begin by remembering that no, there's a big distinction, a very clear distinction between us and God. We fade away but that God and his word endures forever. 
So God is different. Do you see that? The, the big picture of this chapter, as we'll see, it is seeing that God is completely different to us. In fact, my main heading today is that God is incomparable. God is incomparable. And, and we see that in two ways. Firstly, we see that he is sovereign and all-powerful. Sovereign and all-powerful. We're going to read through some sections of, of this chapter and just reflect on how that shows us these things. So look at verse 12 with me. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Uh, on my gap year, we stayed at a place by the sea. And uh, you know, we, we, we were living and working in London. There's not a lot of you know, nice space there. Uh, and we'd go and we'd sit on this beach and we'd just marvel at the open space, the glorious sky, the huge, vast sea in front of us. It's just mind-boggling to think about how much water there was, just this huge scale. If you're into the stats, apparently it's 352 quintillion gallons. I don't know how they work it out, but that's what they reckon. That's how many gallons of water there are in the sea. But for God, it's just there in the hollow of his hand. That is a staggering, a staggering image, isn't it? When we think about these things, this, he is the vast creator. He marks off the heavens with the breadth of his hand. Again, just the universe is beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. To God, it's just, just marking off on his hand. It's, it, it's, you know, he's in control of it. it. It doesn't overwhelm him like it does for us. And then we see about his knowledge. Now, we are all learners, aren't we? We all have to learn things. Right from the day we're born, we're learning about how to survive. How, we're learning language. We're learning behavior. If you've been doing exams recently, you've been proving what you've been learning. We see here, see these verses, it says God doesn't need to learn anything. He, you know, no one instructs him. No one teaches him anything. No one is his equal. No one has to show him the right way. He knows it all perfectly. He's never surprised. That's God. It's amazing, isn't it? Verse 15 goes on. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. There's many nations in our world that seem so big and so powerful and just seem to possess all, all of the control, all the power they would need. I think we've felt that firsthand, well not firsthand, but we've felt that as we've seen on the news and we've felt the, the fear and the pain of, of Ukraine with them as they've been invaded by Russia. It's helpful to remember actually when we see things like that of how God sees the world. Human power, these nations, they're, they're like nothing. Like a drop, a tiny drop of water in a bucket. Impos you know, barely noticeable. It shows us, doesn't it, that, that God's power is on a different level to the nations. Even the most fertile land, it talks about Lebanon there. It was known for its majestic trees, its glorious, uh, you know, the glorious trees there. It's not enough. There's no comparison there. We need to remember that when our nations seem out of control... 
seem powerful, that, we, that God is there, God is over these things, that he will bring justice. And yes, we will feel the weight of sin and, and, and human decisions that are wrong. We'll feel the horror of war. We'll see awful things. But as we see those things, we remember that God will restore, that he will bring judgment, that he will restore everything. And there's hope there because of that. His power is beyond doubt. And that's why he goes on. The, the heading I've chosen that God is incomparable because several times we see this refrain as look at verse 18 with whom then will you compare God to what image will you liken him as for an idol a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple so with everything that's come before, you see what he, he says, what can possibly compare to God? When you worship idols, you know, what could you possibly choose to, to somehow represent him? That, that would have anything to, to show his vast power and majesty. You can't. That's why this passage rips into the, those who make idols. How can something that we make, that we ourselves make, possibly be worthy of our worship? God is not created. He's always been. That's again that, that distinction that we are created and he isn't. Nothing can compare to that. We shouldn't even try. This ties into what we were speaking about last week when we were thinking about idolatry. Things that we turn into idols. Things that we love more than God. Things we think we couldn't be happy without. Some things we make into idols. Uh, as I was reading, uh, as preparing for the sermon, I found a list of some common idols of today. See what you think of these. The first one, identity. Do you make your identity an idol? Rather than letting our identity be found in God, we can try and find it in other things. The things we do, what we do for work, our skills, our physical appearance, our gender, our sexual preference. And if we make those into idols, it always just feels like maybe we're not living up. We've always, there's always more to do. We never quite got it right. We've got to find our identity in, in God. What about money, material things? Always wanting more, thinking, do you know, I, I would be happy if I could have this much money. Or this new thing that somehow promises so much, the latest gadget or whatever it is. These things are made by people. They will never satisfy. They're always looking for more. And actually, you know, you, you look at the kind of super wealthy and you think, yeah, they've got a very comfortable life, but are they genuinely satisfied and happy? They're still hungry for more, aren't they? They're still looking for things that to, to do that will ultimately satisfy. They have a hole in them that, that, that can't be filled. They've got, you know, they need the Lord Jesus. It doesn't, money and material things can never replace that. What about jobs and, and grades and achievements? It's a common conversation, isn't it? When you meet someone new, oh, what do you do? We judge each other kind of based on what we do. It's almost automatic. You kind of end up putting people in a kind of sliding scale. You know, where, where does that person sit based on what they do? Work is a good thing. It's good to honour God with what we do. But we can love it too much. We can make too much of it. And ultimately, it can replace our reliance on God. Same thing happens at school, if you're, if you're still at school. 
You're striving for the perfect grades that, so you can get that perfect job. If you've been doing exams recently, let me reassure you that actually the world will not end if you don't get the grades that you wanted. You can trust God in the midst of that. I know it's harder in the moment, it feels painful when you've had a terrible exam or whatever, but actually you can look further than that and trust whatever happens, God has you if you're trusting him. You don't need to idolise your achievements. What about sex? It's a big one, isn't it? There's a, a quote from, from the article I found these things. It says, sex might be the only thing we think about more than money. It's everywhere in our culture. We have taken a good gift from God and made it into the God of our lives. For many, their lives are controlled by sex. I think that's very true in our world, isn't it? And actually, there's proof, because if you, if you try and uh, suggest something different, if we question the sexual ethics of our day and say, actually, we believe there's a better way to live based on what God has said, there's great outrage, isn't there? There's great offence because people hold so fast to it. It's such a big idol. We want to show that it's a good gift to be honoured and, and we, we praise God for it. We want to use it in the right way. But we can turn it into an idol. And this one, this one definitely challenged me. Smartphones. Smartphones. That, there's a sense, isn't there? I don't know if you've got one. I've just, you've got to, you know, the, the, could you possibly live? How could you survive if you're not connected to the internet? If you're not connected on social media or, or other things like that? You know, if you leave, I left my phone upstairs today, and I was like, what do I do? Do I need to go and fetch it right away? I need to go up, up there, don't I? I can't, I can't be without it, of course. You know it's bad if you're watching TV and also you've got your phone, you're sort of watching, trying to watch two screens at once, you know. You, you can, somehow you can juggle, maybe you can try and juggle both, I don't know, but it doesn't work, does it? I was tra- I, this challenged me because it was sort of, do you turn to God or do you turn to your phone more? It's like, wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's easy to get out of your pocket and unlock it and just think that you need to look at something and it doesn't satisfy. You think, what could my phone possibly give me that God can't? We've got to remember that, haven't we? We've got to, 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 to remember that actually all our idols, whatever they are, are created things. They will never replace the incomparable creator. They can never give us what we have been created for, a relationship with him, to worship him, to live for him, to be saved. We try, don't we? We try and try, but nothing nothing compares to God. Nothing compares to who he is. And almost the, 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 the passage is almost like prodding us and saying, look at the foolishness of believing that idols have anything to give you. It goes on, verse 21. This is, it kind of follows straight on. Here we go. This is why it's so foolish. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Do you not know? Have you not heard this this kind of rhetorical? How could you possibly have an excuse? You've seen all of these things. You've seen that God is God. You've seen what he is like. You've seen that nothing should take his place. 
We get similar themes in these verses. The, the vastness of God. He stretches out the heavens with his power and his glory. This different level of, of power to the nations, to, to people. They're nothing in comparison. It's like a wake-up call, this chapter, isn't it? Wake up. Idols get you nowhere. Remember how foolish it is to trust man-made things rather than God's. He's the creator. He is Lord of all. All-powerful, all-knowing, strong, glorious, holy, wonderful. That is God's challenge to us. We've got to remember that. And that's what we see in verse 25. See, this is, and God says this, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. You know, more than I love looking at the vastness of the sea, I love looking up at the incredible majesty that is there in the stars. It's actually nice because you can see some stars in Kenilworth where we couldn't in, in London. Uh, and actually our bedroom has these skylights and you can, always, you can look out. And at the minute, the, the, the plough constellation is almost like framed like a piece of art in this window. It's amazing when you look up. But actually it's better, isn't it, to go somewhere properly dark uh, where you can, sometimes you can see a bit of the Milky Way stretching overhead and you just sit and the stars come as your eyes get used to it and more and more appear. This vast star field, it's stunning. It stuns you into silence. It humbles you as you look at the, the vastness of it. It gives us awe as you consider just the sheer number of stars that we can see. Who created all this? You see, God. God's the one who does that. He has named each one. He brings each one out. There's nothing out of place. There's nothing missing. The stars are a clear example of his great power and his strength. So let me encourage you, if you haven't recently, to, to stop, to look up, to, to look at the stars. It helps us answer that question there in verse 25. Who do you compare me to? Who is my equal? We look up at the stars and then we go, ah, we, we can't compare you to anything, God, can we? You are incomparable. You're a different level to us. You are beyond us. And it leads us to worship. I think this chapter, it just, it's almost like just scratching the surface on God's glory, isn't it? It's like a tiny bit shining through, helping us see how majestic and wonderful he is. How does it make you feel as we reflect on these things? I know for myself it makes me feel really small, really insignificant. You think, how could the God of the universe who made all of these wonderful things be interested in me? It's a humbling thing, isn't it, when we consider how powerful God is what he is like but actually that question is answered in this chapter too it doesn't, it's not just a picture of how vast his power and his sovereignty are we also see secondly that he is a shepherd who saves us and strengthens the weak a shepherd who saves us and strengthens the weak remember the chapter starts with those words comfort, comfort my people they're spoken to in a tender way this way is prepared for God to come to them. No obstacle is going to get in his way. He's come to reveal his power, but he's also come. Do you see what he's come to do? Verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me, back in chapter 14. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. 
Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You see, the God coming is really good news for his people. He has not forgotten his promises. He's coming to care for them, to rescue them. He's powerful, verse 10. But he's also a shepherd, verse 11. He is gentle. He looks after the sheep. He takes the lambs in his arms. They are close to his heart. That's really special imagery, isn't it? This, this, this small lamb, God taking it in his arms. He, he does that with us. Which is good news because sheep are not renowned for their brains. <laughs> uh, sheep are in, in need, aren't they, for a lot of care, a lot of help. In need of provision, of food and shelter, to be led away from danger. That's what we're like. That's why we need this. We need God to be our shepherd. And that's why he comes. We see that in the New Testament, John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What a staggering connection. God comes in Isaiah to be the shepherd. And here Jesus comes to be the good shepherd. Not just to care, but also lay down his life for us. To die on the cross in our place. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be cared for forever. Do you know this shepherd? Do you know him? If you're, if you're not a believer here today, if you're not trusting him, you've seen, you've, you've heard me try and explain something of how awesome God is. There's a question for you today. Will he be your shepherd when he returns? Is there honestly anywhere else you can find that love and that care that he offers you? I've already tried to show you, in some sense, everything else lets us down. So let me encourage you, if you haven't already come today, and let God be your shepherd. Find that eternal rest when you put your trust in him. I'm happy to talk more if you've got questions. The thing is, though, when you're in exile in, in Babylon, it probably didn't feel like God was their shepherd. They were far from him. Maybe that feels familiar to us too. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're close to God. And we need the encouragement of just the last verses of chapter 42. Because it's quite, again, it's quite provoking. Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my gods. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's easy perhaps sometimes to, to complain, like it says in, in verse 27. Maybe we wonder, why is God letting something like this happen to me? We question his goodness. You see what God says in return. It's like, do you not know? Have you not heard? Again, it's that rhetorical kind of, you should know this already. God is the everlasting God. He's the creator. He is powerful, as we've seen. He does not grow tired. That's a glorious thing to, to realize, isn't it? What a relief that is 
I, I am so often tired and weak, but God does not tire. He is always reliable and he always gives strength. And that's a message we need to hear because if we listen to the voices that, that we often hear in our worlds, which are basically, you've got to dig deep, you've got to find the strength within yourself. You can do whatever you dream as long as you, you put the effort in yourself. That's what we hear, isn't it, in, in TVs, in movies, in books, probably in school as well. It's not true. We are weak. We get things wrong. We, we need other people. We need God's help and strength. We've got to put our hope in the Lord. That's where strength is found. I saw some eagles recently at a bird centre. And they're just they're incredibly dignified creatures. They're just, even the way they sit, they've got this poise, this, this kind of strength as if they're ready to, 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 to move at any moment. And see what the passage says, those trusting God soar on wings like eagles. They are known, they are cared for, but they're, they're given strength by God. They have nothing to fear because God is with them. God is their shepherd. It's an amazing chapter. Are you feeling any more awe than when you came through the door? God is so vast, he's so mighty, and yet he cares for us, he knows us, he saves us. Isn't it just a staggering to consider both of those things together? Not just that he is glorious, but that in that glory he comes down to rescue us and make us his family and adopt us. What a staggering thing to grasp. It should fill us with awe. If it hasn't, go back and read it, go, go and reflect, go and chew on these verses later pray about them but if you have if you have understood this what's our response our response is that we should be worshipping God it comes back to, to, to our theme loving him with everything offering our lives in praise in obedience in worship relying on him alone relying on his grace because that's what has saved us and just offering our life in return offering it up in worship in, in adoration and thanks to, to what God has done. My prayer is that we will, be, we will be a church that grows in worship because we have an awe-inspiring God and we, we get that. So why don't I pray and ask God to work in our hearts. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this amazing chapter which just helps us see something of your majesty and your glory and your power and your strength. We do worship you, Lord, because you are the creator of all. And your power is without limit. And we cannot compare you to anything else. Forgive us where we try and replace you with foolish idols. Whatever they may be. And thank you so much that you show us grace. And you come to be our shepherd. And take us in your, arm, in your arms, Lord. Thank you for the care that you show us. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for giving us life eternal. And please give us real awe and hearts thrilled and hearts full of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.